Good morning, New Life Church. Great to see those young people up here. And, uh, see them involved in, in serving God, serving the church. Great to see Angela have to say something nice about her own son. Because normally here during the week, it's always... I'm kidding about that. It's, it's always only nice stuff. But uh, well done, young people. Let's just jump right into it. Got a full morning here. I'm going to close uh, in a little bit by taking um, the Lord's Supper together. You haven't joined us in a while. We're in week three of a series we've called Better Together. Together is not something that we just do very well, especially today as a society. We live in what we might call like a highly individualized society in ways that we probably don't even comprehend the way that that's shaped us because we've just been raised in it. Um, and, and ever more so. Um, I see this as I walk around town, you know, the, the, the different parts of town. You'll see in the older parts of Stonewall, as I'm sure you'd see in any town. Houses had porches on the front very often. And they don't put porches on the front of houses anymore. Have you noticed that? I mean, now it's a deck in the back, right, surrounded by a big fence where you can be private. Now you have to see people, see the neighbors, right, nose out front. Um, so you don't see, they've been building houses with porches anymore. Although I was walking around Stone Ridge uh, here with Erica, and, and I did notice a few of those newer houses do have porches. But if you look close, you know what I realized? They're actually just for show. Have you noticed that? They're, they're like three feet deep. And they're not actually made to use. They just look nice. I've been told uh, by, by builders that living room in new houses, living rooms are getting smaller and TVs are getting bigger. And, and I've noticed this, because I've looked in the back window of many of your homes, and um, I'm, not, I'm not joking, okay? There are some big TVs out there, and uh, that's the beautiful thing about Stonewall with all these trails behind homes, is you get to peek in and see what's going on, and sometimes I'll just check up on you, and you don't know it, but I'm there in the bushes, and... Um, <laughs> But, uh, you know, honestly, if, if in the winter you're watching the Jets game and you peer out and there's like, you see a guy in the bushes, that, that might be me. That's, uh, you know, a winter jacket is cheaper than a year's worth of TSN. So, um. <laughs> but this kind of individualistic mentality, uh, I, I think in ways we probably don't even recognize, it's kind of shaped our spiritual life as well. Faith has become more and more of a personal, private pursuit. Even the way we read the Bible tends to be more individualized than it, uh, than it ought to be. And yet when we look into the Bible, we see very clearly that it teaches us that God made us for community. Right? As all human beings, he made us to, to be healthy and to thrive in the context of community, of relationship. And that's certainly too in our spiritual life as well. When God called us to himself, he called us, not just to himself, but into his family, into his community, which he called the church. Jesus said, I build my church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. It might prevail against like an individual, but the gates of hell will not prevail against my community, my church. And so in this series, Better Together, what we're doing is we're taking a look at God's design for his community. What it means that God has called us together, what we're supposed to do together when we gather. And I know for me, as someone who obviously 
plays an important part in shaping our togetherness. This, is, this has been good for me because it's easy to come here and just go through the motions and this is just what we do because this is what we've always done. And even for me, I'm sitting back as I'm reading the Bible and thinking about this and going, what are we supposed to do? And why are we doing it? And how are we supposed to do it well? And so that's really what we're exploring together. When we gather, as God has called us to, particularly here Sunday mornings, what are we to do and why are we to do it together? And so last week, we, we looked at the question, why are we to listen together? God has called us to listen to the word of God read and preached when we gather together as a community. And you know, if you didn't listen to that, I'd encourage you to find 45 minutes to go on our YouTube channel or the podcast when you're driving to the city and give it a listen because we, did, we explored how God shapes us when we hear his word read and preached in community. There are reasons for that that cannot be accomplished when we hear God alone. We're called to listen to God together. And if we are shaped by God's word, what will we do together? Well, one of the things we'll do together, according to God's word, is we will pray together. We will pray together. And so this morning, we're going to look at this question. Why do we pray together? And how ought we to pray together? Because you can't read the New Testament without just getting the strongest sense that prayer was central to what the community of Christ did when it came together. I mean, right from beginning to end. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 21, when he's at the temple in Jerusalem, you remember, you remember the story, he's driving out the money changers, and he says, my house shall be called a house of prayer. I mean, what should define this space and this gathering when God's community comes together? God wants it to be a house of prayer. And so right from the very beginning of the church in the book of Acts, you see this theme, right? Right after Jesus ascends back into heaven, Acts chapter 1, verse 14, those first Christians, it says, they all join together constantly in prayer. This is what you find them doing together. They join together constantly in prayer. And it was while they were praying that God sent his Holy Spirit on them on the day of Pentecost, and the church was born. It happened in prayer. And we see a description of that first church, Acts 2, verse 42. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, that is to the scriptures, and to fellowship, and to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. And so when they met continually, what is something they did? They devoted themselves together to prayer. And we just see this over and over again. Acts chapter 4, it says, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God boldly. And often God moved when his people prayed together. Over and over again, this is what you see. And so Paul, when he's writing this letter of instruction to this young pastor who's pastoring in the, the Greek city of Ephesus, um, his name was Timothy. Paul is giving his young protege, this young pastor Timothy, some instruction about how to lead the gatherings, the community. And he says this to Timothy, 1 Timothy 2, 1 to 4. He says, I urge you then, Timothy, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and for all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good 
and pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. And then two verses later, therefore I want men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing. So he says, first of all, when you gather, I want to make sure that you devote yourselves to prayer, petitions, thanksgiving, right? intercession. Why? Because God wants all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And so prayer is an important part of bringing that about. So here you just see how central prayer was to what they did together. And yet, I don't know, I, I could be wrong, but the sense I get is that of all the spiritual practices that we practice today, especially as kind of Western Christians, the most individualized and privatized practice we have is the practice of prayer. Let's just be honest. We don't do a lot of it, do we, together? Like when we're together here on Sunday mornings, it happens a few times in some small ways, and maybe in other gatherings, the same. But I, I think if we were to look at our church and our lives, we would, we would maybe not say that prayers is one of the central things that we do together the way we ought. When we gather, I don't know, it seems maybe that prayer is perfunctory. And that's a new word I discovered, and I like to use new words. And I'm not sure what it means, but it kind of sounds cool. Prayer is perfunctory. I had to look it up. What does it mean that prayer is perfunctory? It means... Um, an activity that is done with minimal effort or reflection. And I wonder if maybe our prayer when we gather is perfunctory. It's what we just do, because that's what we do it customarily to open something, to open the service, to close the service, to open a meeting, to close a meeting, to provide a little transition in between doing one important thing to another important thing so the worship team can get up and then go back down. Right? Prayer becomes perfunctory. In the New Testament, prayer was not perfunctory. Maybe that's because we feel like we're not doing something when we pray, especially when one person is the one speaking and everyone else might just be sitting there and listening. It maybe feels like inactivity. We could be doing something instead of praying. I feel that tension at times. Maybe it's because we don't really know what prayer is and, and how it and the function it serves. You know, I, I've tried to come up with a better definition for prayer, because there has to be a better definition. There has to be something more sophisticated than this. But, I, you know, looking at the Bible, I just cannot find any way of getting a, a more accurate description of prayer, biblically speaking, than to say to, that prayer is defined as talking to God. Like, I wish I had something a little bit more profound that would justify my paycheck. But I can't find anything that better represents what prayer is in the scriptures than talking to God. Rather simple. When we listen to, to, to the Bible read and preached here or elsewhere, God is talking to us, right? And he is expressing his truth, his character, his nature, his will to us. We hear from him and prayer then is our response to God. We listen to God and it shapes what we say in return so that we're not just in our prayer kind of reflecting ourselves, our will, but we're, we can actually pray God's will when we pray because if we don't respond to what we've heard, what God has said, prayer just becomes holding up a mirror to our own selves. It's just self-projection. But if we really pray in response to what we hear from the scriptures, 
we pray different. I mean, you can't hear Jesus say, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet lose his soul? You can't hear Jesus say that and then fill all of your prayer meeting with praying about recovered knee surgeries. You just can't. You just can't pray more for physical ailments than you can for the saving and the healing of souls. You just can't. So when we pray, we respond. It's just talking to God after we've heard him talk to us. Why pray? I mean, prayer fundamentally, we do it for two reasons. We do it for the sake of intimacy and we do it for the sake of inadequacy. We pray for the sake of intimacy because prayer at its essence is just, when I say talking to God, it's just communing with God. God is a person. God is not a force. God is not somewhere transcendent. He is imminent, he is present, he wants to be known, and he wants to know. And when we pray, when we talk with him, just like when we talk with a friend, or talk with a spouse, or talk with a kid, we are developing intimacy. We are communing with that other. And so Jesus says, when you pray, you call God Father. Now in the Greek, in which Matthew wrote, that's the word pater, you get paternal, patriarchy. Jesus spoke in Aramaic, so it's probably translating the Aramaic word Abba. Jesus used the word, say to God, Abba. Now, Abba, that would have been a very revolutionary word to use for God in first century Judaism. People didn't call God Abba. It was too familial. It was too intimate because it's something that a child would call a father, like dad. So prayer is an expression and an invitation into intimacy with God. We pray because We want God because we enjoy God. And sometimes we want to want God, but if we're honest, we don't want God. And that's where prayer becomes a discipline. Prayer becomes the way, even if I don't feel like it, I rekindle the wanting of God, the enjoyment of God. So we pray for the sake of intimacy when we talk with God and that's what the Bible means when it says pray unceasingly. It means like when you're walking out and you see those beautiful leaves, orange and yellow, like life is to be a conversation with God. God, look at that. You made that. How beautiful. Thanks for giving me eyes to be able to see the color. And the frogs hopping around. I noticed like Kyle, he talked about his highlight was using a lawnmower and then seeing frogs flop around in the grass. And I think he's talking about chopping up frogs <laughs> as he's mowing the lawn. That's sadistic. So we pray for the sake of intimacy, but we pray for the sake of inadequacy. We pray because we need God. There is something that we don't have and can't do that God has and can do. And that's why we pray, because God can do what we cannot do. And so when, God, when Jesus instructs us to pray, right, we, we bring our requests. Give us this day our daily bread. When we pray to God, it's a way of recognizing that all sustenance ultimately comes from Him and it's outside of my control. I can do very little. But God can do everything and God can do what I can't. And and He can give what I need. And so Jesus, in, in the Gospel of Luke, when Luke is recording this instance where Jesus is teaching the disciples about prayer, He adds 
he adds a little story, a parable that Jesus shares. It's in Luke chapter 11, and it's a perplexing little story, but it's in Luke 11, verses 14. It says, um, after he gave them kind of this formulation or, the, or this, um, what we know as the Lord's Prayer, Jesus says to them, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food for him. So you can imagine that scenario. It's two in the morning, you get company, you're out of bread, you knock on your neighbor's door at two in the morning. Hey, can I have some bread? And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me, the door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, Jesus says, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet, sh- yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. What Jesus is saying is, as you keep knocking and pestering, finally, because of your shameless audacity to keep doing this, the guy's just going to get up, give you what you need, so you'll stop knocking and let him sleep. And maybe you've read that and gone, oh, that's what Jesus, that's what God feels when we pray. It's like a guy like that. He feels bothered. Why are you coming? Why are you persisting? You're bothering me. And and, and is is that what is that what how God receives our prayers? What is Jesus saying? Well, he goes on. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. For which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish? will give him a snake instead. Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So what he's saying is, even though a neighbor will do that, even an evil neighbor, he will relent and give because of someone's shameless audacity, how much more your Father in heaven, who does not sleep or slumber, who is not... evil, who is perfect in love, how much more will he want to give you that which you need? So Jesus says, ask. Ask. Seek. Knock. And it's not because God doesn't know your need. He already said in Matthew chapter 6 that God knows what you need before you ask. So then why do we ask if God knows? It's because God has chosen to grant us some things only when we ask. Did you know that? Why pray? God has chosen to grant some things only when we ask. You know, I'm convinced that if we stand before God, nobody is ever going to hear from God, why did you ask so much of me? Why did you knock so much? Why did you have such high expectations for me? You know what God will say, I think, very often is, why did you ask so little? I'm God. Why did you ask so little? Why did you not knock more? There were things I wanted to give you. So we pray because we are inadequate, because we need God, and we pray as a way of expressing our trust in the sufficiency of God for us, I love these words from Isaiah 26, 3 and 4, you will keep in perfect peace, God, those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. The Lord is the rock, the rock eternal. 
you will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast. That means looking to you, God, because they trust in you. Prayer is the way that we express and reinforce and, 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 and renew our trust in God that brings about peace. So for these reasons, we pray. But, okay, but, do, but should we pray together? After all, didn't Jesus just say, didn't he say, when you pray, go into your bedroom, shut the door, and pray in secret? And didn't Jesus just say that when you pray, don't babble on using many words? So doesn't Jesus saying that our prayers should be private and short? No, that's not what Jesus said. Prayers can be private and prayers can be short. But what Jesus is saying is that praying should not be private and should not necessarily be, be short. Jesus is teaching us how to pray. And, and he's showing us two things about how to pray. He's showing us that our prayers to be prayers of simplicity and sincerity. What he's saying is, don't pray to try to impress God. That's what he means when he says, the pagans, they babble on, thinking God will hear them because of their many words. And he says, God's not like that. Right? Babble, what he means is, like, don't, don't try to conjure the most eloquent, complex prayer to try to convince God to do something for you. It doesn't work that way. Just pray simply. Don't try to pray to impress God. And pray with sincerity. Jesus says, don't try to impress others because you know it's possible for any of us and it's certainly possible for a pastor to get up here, clear his throat, <laughs> let's come to the Lord in prayer. And why we always speak in a British accent when we do that, I don't know. It just... Because God likes the Queen's English. We know that. Um, and I catch myself and maybe you two getting halfway through to the end of a prayer and realizing I wasn't talking to God. I was thinking about how my words would come off to other people, right? How they might reflect on me. And what he's saying is some people are hypocritical in prayer. They act like they're talking to God, but they're actually talking to the people around them, trying to impress them. He says, pray with simplicity and sincerity. That's what he's saying there. And, and we know he's not saying don't pray together, just pray in private, because look at his next words. When he says, I'll show you how to pray, and then what's the first word? Say it out. What's the first word? Our. Yeah, when you pray, go in your bedroom, close the door, and pray in secret. Oh, how should we pray, Jesus? Our. Father. And if you go through that prayer, it's all us, our, it's all together prayer. So Jesus is making it clear that we are to pray as his community. We are to pray together. We're, we're not just to pray, to pray my, we're to pray our. For at least three reasons. And there's probably way more than three reasons why we ought to pray together. But can I give you three reasons that I see in the Lord's Prayer that give us some reason why we are to pray our. Why should we pray when we come together, whether it's here Sunday morning, whether it's out in the foyer or the fireside room or at the prayer meetings or in your small group or in your home with your spouse and your kids and with your friends. And when we get together as God's people, why not just alone? Why pray together? 
at least three reasons I see here in the Lord's Prayer. The first is this. Praying together guards us from self-centeredness. Oh, because our prayers can be self-centered, can't they? So this is what he says. When you pray, pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. So, so you see how it was a whole bunch of your first talking to God. God, make yourself hallowed. May, yourself, may you be shown to be great. May your kingdom come. May your will be done. And only after all of that Godwardness do we kind of bring in our own needs. Oh, and, and, and give us this day our daily bread. But when I pray alone, I get to that part like really fast by nature. I don't know about you, but if someone were to dissect my prayer life alone, I would fear that it would be a whole lot of me asking things for me and for the people I love, my wife and my kids, but really that's still asking stuff for me. Right? Happy wife, happy life. And when you pray alone, your prayer can be very self-centered, but you can't do that in a group, can you? Even if it's just two. As soon as you pray with another, you do not pray that way. You can't pray that way. Because by the very nature of praying with others, it takes your focus off of yourself so that you are praying prayers that are outward to the needs of others and upward, praying towards God, Him at the center. So when we pray together, when we say, Our Father, you know, it, 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 we, we still pray our need, but it kind of helps us not to pray our greed, you know? It guards us from self-centeredness. It keeps our prayers balanced, God-centered. And there's a second reason as we continue in the Lord's Prayer, we show that praying together grows us in love and holiness. When we pray together, it actually changes us. Did you know that? Look how Jesus continues. And forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Lead us not to temptation. God doesn't lead us into temptation. What he means is help us not to succumb to temptation. Help us not to succumb to temptation. And so what you see here is Jesus is saying, when you pray together, you're supposed to confess your sins in prayer and you're supposed to and just share your struggles in prayer. Those two things. And uh, maybe we more Baptist people don't do a very good job of that. What? You know, share that with others? I don't need that. I just need God. Just I got the direct line. Go to a priest in a little booth. What, he's going to give me forgiveness that comes straight from God. Let us not misunderstand why Jesus would ask us to pray that together and why James would have that at the end of his letter, right? James 5, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. And healed there isn't just physical ailments. That's the word that means wholeness and body, mind, spirit. Spiritual health, emotional health. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed for the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Because you know, something happens when we pray together in a way where we are actually confessing sin and confessing struggle. If I, if I share that in prayer, you know, maybe in a detailed way or not so detailed way, then other people who pray with me can pray for me. They can intercede for me. They can minister the words of God's grace, His truth into my situation. And I encounter God in a way that I don't encounter God when I just pray all by myself. 
Right? Doesn't, the, doesn't Jesus say, where two or more are gathered in my name, there I am with them also? He's not saying you have to be, you, you can't have God all by yourself. He's saying that God works in a certain way in the context of community. And when you pray together, you, you grow in love and holiness. And so last week, you know, there's a guy in the church here. We were outside. We weren't at a church activity. We were doing something. At the end of it, you know, he just confided in me some of his own, like, struggles he was going through, some of the hardships in life and it, it, that he's been, it's just been really hard for a period of time and he's been praying and things have been seen changing. And so then I said to him, can we pray together right now? And so I'm trying to cha- train myself and I commend this to you. What I found myself often doing is saying, I'm going to pray for you. Okay, see you, Bob. And just know I'm going to pray for you. The guy's name wasn't Bob. And I'm trying to train myself to not say I'm going to pray, but to actually pray with them. So now I'm, I'm trying to go, can, we, can I pray for you right now? Can we pray together? And so there we were. We're on the side of the street. We spent a few minutes praying together about it. And I got a text from him later in the day just saying, I feel so much better. Well, yeah. Yeah. Because when we pray together, he maybe doesn't even have the words to, shit, to communicate what his needs are. And he maybe doesn't even believe in the mercy and grace to call upon it in that. But for someone to come alongside him and say, oh God of mercy, would you just come and, and actually speak the truth into that person's situation? God uses that to grow our holiness and to grow our love. Because Jesus would say a few verses later in Matthew 6, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Those things are connected. Love your enemies. How do you do that? Pray for them. Because when you pray for someone, it's hard to hate them. If, if you want to keep um, ill feelings towards another kindled, if you want to hate someone, don't pray for them. Because as soon as you start praying for them, and particularly with them, it, you can't help but start to feel differently towards them. Love, greater love starts to grow when I pray with and for another. My love grows for them. We become more unified. We, we remember that we, we both have common needs for God's grace. We're both sinners that need to be forgiven. When we pray together as a church, it grows us in holiness and love. It unifies us in such a way that we as a body are a better witness to the world of the power of the gospel. So that's the second reason. It grows in us love and holiness. The third reason is this, I see in in the Lord's Prayer, that when we pray together, it gives God greater glory. You know, the Lord's Prayer ends with this statement, and, you know, in some of your Bibles, it's maybe in the footnotes. They moved it there, depending on your version, because it's unclear whether this was actually in, in kind of Matthew's original gospel or an early edition. Either way, it's very appropriate and in no way unbiblical. You know how it ends? For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So we finish our prayer when we pray our Father together by um, seeking God's glory. And we've talked about this before, that God, um, God seeks his own glory more than he seeks anything else. And it's not because God's selfish. It's because what you and everyone you know needs most in life is to know the glory of God 
You need to know the greatness of God. More than you need to not have cancer. More than you need enough money in the bank. More than you need a healed marriage. More than any of that stuff. What you need is you need to know the greatness of God. Because that's where hope is found. Joy, love, peace, eternal life. And God wants that for us. And so he seeks to glorify himself so that we can have that. And this is why we pray together. You know... when, we, when, when a few people or all of us come together, our, our, prayer, our prayer isn't more powerful because somehow two is better than it's twice as powerful as one and three is even more so, right? Like that carnival game, or you know that where you've, you've got the thing that goes up and hits the bell at the top and if you, you use enough force, and you know I do that and I don't hit the bell. I know it's going to shock some of you. But I do have what my wife calls thinking man arms, Right? And she usually uses her sexy voice because I think, I think she's really attracted to them. She's like, ooh, thinking man arms. <laughs> Actually, no, she's never used that tone of voice with respect to my thinking man arms. So maybe if we had someone else come with their arms, their force, and two of us, we could pound that and we could get closer. And three, we get clo- four, we hit the bell. And maybe that's why we pray together because our prayers are more forceful when we add them together. And that's not at all why we pray together. That, that prayer doesn't work that way. Why, does, why is praying together more powerful? It's because God wants to be his glory to be seen. And when we pray together, it actually amplifies his glory. He wants to respond into the, into the prayer of a group because when he, when he responds to the prayers that we pray together, he gets more glory. Because we all see it together and we can acknowledge it. And if it's just something I pray, it's like, amazing, look what God did. Who am I going to tell? Oh, yeah, they don't know. They didn't pray. But man, when we pray together and when God responds, it amplifies his glory. And I've often thought what would be a terrible thing, and this is one of my fears in life, because I'm not much of a golfer, but on my bucket list is to hit a hole-in-one. And that's why I mini-golf a lot, because I figure it increases my odds. But one of my fears is that I'm going to hit a hole-in-one, and I'm going to be all by myself. And no one's going to see it. And they wouldn't believe it. <laughs> right? Rusty? Thinking man arms? You couldn't drive that far. And you know, I think of that, why is that? Because God wants his glory to be seen, because that's what we need. Right? He doesn't want to hit a hole in one if there's nobody to see it and to recognize the greatness in him through it. So when we pray together, we give God the opportunity he's looking for to show his glory in an amplified way. And so you see this in the, just as an example in, in the book of Acts, Peter is imprisoned. And he's preaching, and the authorities throw him in prison, and in Acts 12, verse 5, it says, it says this, so Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. They were gathered together, and what were they doing? They were earnestly praying for him, for courage, for faithfulness, for a miraculous release. And God answered God miraculously got Peter out of the prison. He went in the dead of night to the home in which they were meeting and he knocked on the door as they're praying for God to release him. 
The knock is on the door. A young girl goes to the door, and she reports back, Peter's at the door. And what do they say? You're out of your mind. We need to get back to praying that God would release Peter. So we're actually supposed to see how funny this is in, in this. God has a sense of humor. But she kept insisting, no, Peter's at the door. And they said, it must be his angel. It couldn't be. It couldn't be. But Peter kept on knocking, verse 16. And then, and when they opened the door, they saw him, and they were astonished. They prayed. God answered their prayer, and they were astonished. God wants us to be astonished. And that's one of the reasons we pray together. It gives God greater glory. I mean, I'm sure that's just scratching the surface for why God calls us to pray together when we gather. And we need to get better at that. How can we pray together well? Just the last couple of minutes here. How can we pray together well? Just a few maybe kind of practical suggestions. Number one, give prayer the time it deserves. Let's make sure that our prayer is not perfunctory. Minimal effort, reflection, and time. Because I've been to enough prayer meetings. I remember the Wednesday evening prayer meeting from 7 to 8 in my former church. We got to 7.55 a long list of prayer requests, and then it was like, ooh, geez, prayer meetings in over five minutes. We should probably pray. That, that was a very common statement. We should probably pray. Yeah, I guess we should. Do we spend more time talking about praying than praying? Maybe we need to spend more time praying than talking about praying. And that's in, and that's in our gatherings, whether that's here or in your small group. Maybe it means in the foyer and and talking with someone and instead of saying, I'm going to pray for you, Bob, saying, can I pray for you right now? Give prayer the time it deserves. Secondly, be active in prayer. Because I know sometimes prayer feels like inactivity, especially in a setting like this or in some settings in your life group, maybe one person is praying and you're all listening. And, And when one person prays and we're together, you know we're all praying, right? And and people can speak out at the same time. That's not wrong, necessarily. But when one person is praying, it's not everyone else is listening to someone else pray. We are all praying together. You are praying with them. What would it look like for you to be more active in that? So you recognize and that you are participating in that prayer, even if you're not speaking those words. What would it look like for me or whoever else might be praying up here for you to actually participate in that? So you're not just listening to someone else pray, but you are praying too. It might, be, it might be like thinking about the posture you use. I mean, it may not be bow the head, close the eyes. It might be lift, lifting, lifting your head, keep your eyes open. Like Paul said to Timothy, have, have men lift holy hands in prayer. It might mean like sitting there as like an act of engaging in this praying yourself, holding your hands out in a way of kind of offering this, right, as, as a way that, that you participate in that prayer. It might be your posture. It might be the things that you are speaking quietly to yourself. You know what I would love to hear? When someone else is praying and you're not speaking, I would love to hear either loud whispers or, or small whispers of, yes, Lord Jesus. Amen. Yes, God, may it be so. You know, you can do that when you talk. Like, you can respond 
in, in, in yourself. You can respond even with words of agreement to engage in that prayer so that you too are really truly praying to God together. Maybe you want to try that. Maybe you want to think about that. Thirdly, take opportunities to pray with others. Take opportunities to pray with others. Again, you know, what I would love to see at New Life Church is all that fellowship and cinnamon buns and laughter out there, but to see, but to see a few people gathered together, two or three or four, gathered together in prayer because someone shared something and there's prayer happening here. You know, our service doesn't begin when, when the opening song starts and it doesn't end when the final prayer. When you walk in the door from when you leave the door, that's church. I, to, to see people gathered together for prayer, to see people going after the service to our prayer room, for a team of, of our prayer team that is waiting to pray with and for people, for people to avail themselves of those opportunities instead of just saying, I'll just go home and pray, you know, just me and God. I'd love to see prayer become more central to the life of our church, and we, we are growing that under Howard's direction there. He's responsible for our prayer ministry. And if you have any interest about our prayer teams or being involved in that ministry, he would love to talk with you. Lastly, don't worry, just talk to God. Remember what I told you, what is prayer? Prayer is talking to God. Why do we get so anxious about this? And we do. I've come to discover a lot of people feel very anxious about praying out loud in any setting. Can I, can I say something to you? You need to get over that. I'm just going to be honest. Okay? Husbands and wives together, praying quietly on either side of the bed, you need to get over that. Parents with your children, in your life group, in other settings, you need to get over that. There's nothing to worry about. Prayer is just talking to God. And I remember this beautiful little woman won't say her name because some people from my old church every once in a while catch the message and i got to be careful. She was not educated at all. She was someone you might call it more simple. Her prayers were not eloquent, but they were authentic. And they were powerful because that person was talking to God. And that's all that prayer is. It's authentically just talking with God. And so maybe that prayer makes you feel uncomfortable or inadequate. That's okay. But don't worry. Don't give in to that. Just practice prayer with others. Prayer isn't supposed to be beautiful. Prayer isn't supposed to be beautiful. It's supposed to be sincere. Just be simple and sincere. And church, that just that starts in your homes with your spouses and your kids if they're there. That starts in your small group and in those settings when we gather. Don't worry, just talk to God. And don't rush into prayer. We're going to pray here in a moment. And you know what I find myself doing? And maybe you too, too. I'll just say, okay, let's pray. And right away, I'm talking to God. Or I'm praying, but I'm not talking to God, right? It's like I haven't even thought of God. Let's pray, Lord Jesus, thank you so much. And I, I, I haven't even thought of God. And I catch myself doing this. And you know what I have found helpful, and I'm trying to do it more and more, is when I'm ready to pray, I don't pray right away. I stop, and I approach God. Close your eyes or whatever, and just like, okay, I am I'm coming into the presence of God. How amazing is this? 
the creator of the universe, the one who has secured my salvation. How amazing is this? I, I approach God and then I talk to God. And so I just offer that to you as a help because I, I just think that often we just rush into it and that's a part of the problem. Approach God and then talk to God. So here's the question to um, pray over, to bring home with you and ponder. What is one way you can better pray together? What is one way? Having heard all of this, how is God speaking to you? How is God speaking to you? What is one way that you can better pray together? And, and, and I know when we, when we put in the words better, I, I don't want us to misunderstand that. We're not saying be better to earn God's favor. Because that isn't the gospel, is it? It's not about, hey, let's just do a better job so that God might do this or respond to me that way. Because that's not the gospel, is it? Like, you remember Jesus, on the, the night before he was crucified, he went into a garden? Do you remember that? And what did he do in the garden? What did he do? He prayed. Have you heard that story? And who did he bring with him? His disciples? And what were they supposed to do? Pray. Pray. And did they? No. Do no. you remember how the story goes? Jesus brings them, the Garden of Gethsemane. He goes on ahead. Okay, guys, you stay here and watch and pray. And he comes back and he finds them sleeping. sleeping. Guys, you couldn't keep watch for an hour? He goes to pray himself again. He comes back a second time to find them sleeping. sleeping. He goes a third time. He comes back to find them sleeping. sleeping. I don't know if you've read that, God. These guys are lame. But you know what's happening here? I came to realize God is giving us one last picture of what the cross means before Jesus dies. What he's saying is, where you failed, Jesus prevailed. And that's what the cross means. Where you failed, Jesus prevailed on your behalf. Where you fell short and you sinned and you have not loved God or others as you ought, Jesus perfectly did the will of God, and he, on the cross, he's a perfect sacrifice to pay for your sin. So that through faith in Jesus Christ, through receiving Christ, through believing in him, we might be called children of God. Have God as our Father. Isn't that what John says? To those who received him, to those who believed in his name, God gave the right for them to be his children. Children not born of human decision, not natural descent or husband's will, but children born of God. To those who received Jesus. Received the forgiveness that he has won, the new life that he has won on that cross when he died on our behalf. So let's be mindful of that. When we say, what's one way to pray? It's not be better so that God's better to you. It's God has been so good to us through his son, Jesus. And that leads us to pray.